Ashley Brock reading Dolores Fawson's book, Mason, Chapter 6. Abby eased open the guest room door and peered out into the hall. Empty. Thank goodness. She had no choice but to see Mason this morning so he could usher her off the ranch as fast as humanly possible, especially since the doctor had given her the all-clear when he examined her. But she hadn't wanted to run into any other Rylands, not after the frosty reception she'd gotten from Grayson and Cad. It was clear she wasn't wanted here, and after the fire in the gunman, Abby was ready to go home and regroup. But she rethought that. Maybe she shouldn't go back to Eagle Pass to the house that she shared with Boone. If by some chance the gunman managed to follow her, she could end up putting Boone in danger. She didn't want that. She already put enough people at risk, including herself, by trying to uncover the truth that Boone obviously didn't want her to know. Before Abby could decide where she could go, she heard the sounds coming from Mason's room across the hall, sounds she hadn't expected to hear laughter. The door to his suite was ajar, so Abby went closer and had a peek inside. Mason was at his desk, a laptop and a breakfast tray positioned in front of him, but he wasn't alone. There was a red-haired toddler running circles around his desk, and each time the little girl reached his chair, Mason would goose her in the stomach. Both of them laughed with, with each round. It was eavesdropping, plain and simple, but Abby couldn't stop herself. She'd never seen this side of Mason. He certainly wasn't the gruff rancher or cowboy cop she'd occur encountered during her interview and her handful of work days. Abby watched when the toddler smacked into the side of the desk and tumbled to the floor. No more laughter. She started to cry, and Mason sprang from his chair to pick her up. Abby knew how it felt to be in his arms, and it had a similar soothing effect on the child. She stopped crying. Gotta be careful, curly locks. He said to her, and he brushed a kiss on her forehead, but the words had no sooner left his mouth when his attention zoomed across the room and landed on Abby. Are you coming in, or do you plan to stand out there all morning? He asked. Abby felt her cheeks redden, and she hoped he hadn't realized just how long she'd been watching him. She stepped inside, Mason's gaze sliding over her from head to toe. She tried to look presentable in her borrowed clothes and with the toiletry she'd found in the bathroom. Abby doubted that she did. Mason, on the other hand, looked more than presentable in his well-worn jeans, black shirt, and cowboy boots. Actually, he looked hot, something she wished she hadn't noticed. Worse, he had no doubt noticed that she noticed. Oh, mercy. Focus, Abby. She was about to ask who would be driving her into Silver Creek, but Mason spoke before she could. This is Kimmy. Kimberly Ellen. He corrected a kissing the toddler's forehead again. Her stepmom, Darcy, is hugging the toilet. Morning sickness. Her dad, Nate, is working. And the nannies are tied up with the twins, my two other nephews, and Grayson's newborn. So Kimmy and I are hanging out. So many babies, she mumbled, all of them Boone's grandchildren, something she wouldn't mention again. I've never been around children. I'm more comfortable with horses, she confessed. Yeah, me too. But then he shrugged and grinned at Kimmy when she returned the kiss to his cheek. Knock, the little girl said. She dropped her head onto his shoulder. That's Kimmy's version of uncle, Mason explained. He eased her back to a standing position, and Kimmy ran to the toy chest next to a leather sofa. Everything in the room was masculine except for that toy chest that was stuffed to the brim.
Mason took his gaze off his niece and turned it back on Abby. No glare this morning. His face could never be considered soft, but she thought she could see sympathy or something in his eyes. Well, she thought that until his gaze slid over her again. Abby checked to make sure the concha was hidden. It was. She nearly asked if something else was wrong, but then she saw it. Not anger or even disapproval. He was looking at her the way a man looked at a woman. Oh, that. The look didn't last long, and he shifted his attention to the laptop. Did anyone have time to check on the horses to make sure they're okay? She asked, sickened her to think that the gunman who'd attacked them would go after the helpless animals. All of them are fine. He paused. I'll move the ones you were training back to the pasture until I can hire someone else. That sickened her a little, too, but there was nothing she could do about it. After what happened, she couldn't stay. Because her hands suddenly felt shaky, Abby crammed them in her back pockets. You'll be driving me into town? He got another look not one grounded in affection this time his forehead bunched up mason tipped his head to the breakfast tray why don't you pour yourself a cup of coffee while we talk uh-oh this couldn't be good and abby doubted that coffee would help although it did smell good and her head was throbbing from lack of both sleep and caffeine she went closer poured herself a cup what happened? He motioned for her to sit in the chair next to his desk, but she shook her head, sipped her coffee, and waited. The man who set the fire and shot at us is Ace Chapman. Mason let her know he's a hired gun and not small potatoes, either. The FBI has tabs on him for years and hasn't been able to nail him, but they estimate that he's killed more than a dozen people. Abby had tried to brace herself for this, but she hadn't expected it to be this bad. Not just an assassin, but one with a deadly resume. How did this monster know I was here at the ranch? Mason shook his head. I haven't figured that out yet. The PI agency I use for backgrounds checks is making sure nothing was leaked. But there's a possibility that someone at the agency made your photo available to the wrong person. How? She wanted to know. Her heart was starting to race now, and the coffee wasn't going down easily. Her stomach was churning. He paused a moment. When I interviewed you for the job, the security cameras were on. I copied an image from it and sent it to the PI agency along with the background request. Oh, mercy. You always do that? Always. And he didn't sound exactly apologetic either. I don't like to take risks with the ranch. You'd be surprised how many low lives apply for this job. No, she wouldn't. She didn't consider Boone and herself low lives, but they'd often given false names and information when asking for work. Not for this job, though, because she figured Mason would do some checking. She had given her legal name, Abby Baker, so she could use her own social security number and provide Mason with some references. Of course, she'd only given him references that weren't likely to get back to Boone. One of them had been Marshal McKinley's own stepfather, and the other, the Marshal's brother. Abby had listened listed them on the job application because she'd known they wouldn't leak anything to Ferguson, and besides, she'd done good work for both. What did the P.I. do with my picture? She wanted to know. That's what I'm checking, but as a minimum, he should have run it past law enforcement so they could check for any priors under a different name. Great. Ferguson no doubt so had connections with the cops. In fact, as badly as he wanted to find her, he probably paid off someone to look for any information that would lead him to her, and it had obviously worked. Mason checked his watch. 
Burden Ferguson should be arriving at the sheriff's office soon. Grayson wants to question him. So do I, Abby jumped to say. He shook his head. Not a good idea. Ferguson already knows I'm here, she pointed out, and he might slip and say something. Mason gave her a flat look to remind her that wasn't likely to happen. I can arrange for you to watch the interview. You can give Grayson some questions to ask, but I don't want you in the same room with him. If we get lucky and are able to make an arrest, Ferguson's lawyers could toss out anything he says because of the impropriety of having you in the interrogation room. Abby considered that nodded and thought back through what mason had just told her are there any solid connections between this ace chapman and ferguson no he paused checked on kimmy and then looked at abby and, but something's not adding up abby wasn't sure where this was leading and she didn't get a chance to ask that's because a tall silver-haired woman came rushing into the room i can take kimmy now so you can drive into town she said to mason before her attention landed on abby she made a slight humming sound this is the girl bane's been raising mason nodded abby this is bessie watkins she takes care of the place and i take care of all the rylands too bessie brought provided she scooped up kimmy but kept her weathered a gaze plastered to abby so how is bone these days he's been better abby settled for saying it looked as if bessie wanted to say more maybe she even wanted abby to send boone a scathing message for her but the woman simply shrugged and patted abby's arm it was the closest thing she'd gotten to a friendly welcome since the rylands had learned of her association with boone we need to leave now but you can bring your coffee with you mason said and started for the door that was abby's cue to follow him but first she dis deposited the coffee cup back on his desk despite her need for caffeine she couldn't finish it not with her stomach churning over the thought of ace chapman and ferguson mason said goodbye to bessie and kimmy before he walked out and down the stairs abby was right behind him waiting for him to spill whatever he'd been about to say before bessie came into the room he grabbed a black stetson from the hooks on the wall near the door and led her outside to the truck parked at the side of the house not a flashy late model vehicle it was at least twenty years old and the once red paint was now scabbed with rust spots she heard the ranch hands making fun of mason's ride and she had to wonder why a man worth millions hadn't brought something better she climbed inside and was surprised that the interior was spotless it belonged to my granddaddy mason said as if he knew exactly what she was thinking with that meager ex expl expect uh, explanation he drove away from the ranch his grandfather the one who was murdered by the senator abby was certain there was more to the story than she heard and she wondered if it was connected to boone or to her he said something didn't add up about ace chapman she reminded him he nodded paused chapman isn't the sort of killer who tried to burn his victim he's a shooter i watched the feed from the security cameras and he broke into the cottage before he set the fire oh god abby pressed her hand to her chest to try and steady her heart he was inside when i was sleeping yeah and that's all mason said for several moments he could have just killed you then shot you in bed you would have never known what hit you that chilled her to the bone and her breath stalled in her throat all abby could do was watch the texas landscape fly by and of course at that moment when she was breathless and scared beyond belief they passed the cemetery a reminder of death that she didn't need on the security feed i saw that ace was holding something and had my brother gage analyze it mason continued ace was filming you as you ran from the burning cottage
That took away the rest of her breath. Abby turned and stared at him. Why would he do that? Mason mumbled something, shook his head. At first, before I knew he had a camera, I thought maybe he burned the cottage because there was something in it that he wanted destroyed. Something other than you. Was there? Abby wasn't so quick to answer no. She tried to think. Just my personal items, clothes, my cell phone. Anything from or related to Boone? He pressed. The thoughts were jumping through her head, but so was the fear. I had a photo of Boone and me in my wallet. Abby couldn't think of anything else. Maybe this assassin just wanted to make sure there was nothing inside that could be used to link him to Boone or, or Vernon Ferguson. Maybe, but Mason didn't sound convinced. There's another reason he could have filmed it. His pause was longer this time. Definitely a hesitation. Maybe Ace was supposed to send the film to someone. Abby didn't have to think about this part. To prove to the person who hired him that I was really dead. Mason lifted his shoulder. But if he'd only needed to prove you were dead, he could have set up the camera in your bedroom and shot you. There was a chill again, and Abby hated that her hands were trembling more with each passing moment. What are you getting at? He glanced. Maybe Ace was supposed to make you suffer. A fire would do that, and he would have proof of that suffering. Proof that he'd done the job someone paid him to do. She was shaking her head before he finished, but then the head shaking came to a screeching halt. You think Ace maybe filmed it so he could show it to someone to torment them? There, there was only one person who fit that particular bill. Boone? Mason made a sound of agreement, but was somewhat lukewarm. But why would Ferguson hire Ace to kill you and show it to Boone? He wouldn't. Abby moment. If anything, Ferguson would do it the other way around. He would kill Boone to get to me. I'm the one he wants. And that caused her heart to start pounding. This wasn't making any sense. Unless she thought back to the past few weeks. Boone had been so strange. Frightened, even. Did that have anything to do with Ace and Ferguson? Maybe. But even so, she was still the primary target. One or both was willing to kill her and then use her death in some way. Perhaps to get back at Boone? But what for? Was this the reason Boone had said the past was catching up with him? Abby's gaze flew to Mason. I have to warn Boone about what's going on. I called Marshal Arlen McKinney this morning, Mason explained. He's aware of the possible danger and will contact Boone. In fact, he's probably doing that right now. The relief was instantaneous and short-lived. Yes, Marshal McKinney knew how to get in touch with Boone, but would it be in time and would it be enough? For now, just focus on you. Mason instructed, let's get past the interview with Ferguson, find Ace, and then you can get back to Boone. She nodded, knew that he was right, but Abby couldn't stop the blasted tears from burning in her eyes, nor could she stop the hoarse sob that escaped her throat. It was bad enough that she was in danger, but now she had, po she had Boone and the entire Ryland clan in an assassin's path. I need to make some kind of deal with Ferguson, she said, thinking out loud. I had to do something to stop him. Mason cursed and dragged her across the seat toward him. Abby landed right against him. Use my shoulder, he insisted. Go ahead and have yourself a good cry before we get to the sheriff's office. But any more, but any talk about making deals with Ferguson stops. I read the man's file and you'd be safer dealing with the devil himself. She wanted to say that the danger would stop if she were dead. That might not be true. Abby no longer had any idea what would keep everyone safe. That tore through her heart. The tears came, despite squeezing her eyes shut, and she wiped them away as fast as she could. Don't say you're sorry again. Mason grumbled when she looked up at him. Got that? 
Because that was exactly what she was about to do, Abby stayed quiet. She stayed put, too, even though she knew this close contact was wrong. It didn't make sense. In the middle of all of this, she shouldn't be feeling all tingly because of Mason. He hated her. The only thing that could result from this was more trouble added to the heap of it she was already had. Abby, he's away from him. Those weren't many tears, he pointed out. Or maybe it's the shoulder you object to. The shoulder, she readily confirmed. She risked glancing at her. Thanks for the offer, but leaning on your shoulder comes with a high price. <laughs> he didn't deny it. Mason just kept driving. The tension on the road ahead as he entered Silvery. Yeah, and that was all he said. I guess it's true. Opposites do attract, but in our case, it can't. Abby couldn't agree more. They had too much bad stuff in the way to even think about something as mundane as a kiss. But still, she thought about it. Felt it, too. In fact, just thinking about Mason's kiss rid her of the rest of that chill. And that's the reason she moved all the way back to her seat side of the car. The timing was perfect because Mason turned into the parking lot of the sheriff's office and came to a stop. Considering the awkwardness shimmering between them, Abby would have jumped from the truck, but Mason held her back and looked around. Not an ordinary look, but a cop doing surveillance of an area where an assassin might be hiding. Abby cursed herself for not thinking of that on her own. She kept herself safe for 21 years, and it was as if she had forgotten everything Boone had ever taught her. Let's go, Mason insisted when he had finished checking out the area he led her through the back entrance and into a hall and they'd barely managed to make it inside when a man stepped out from one of the open rooms judging from his appearance this was another boone's sons also judging from the shiny badge clipped to his belt he was a deputy sheriff the man's attention landed on her and she got a scowl yep definitely a rylan abby this is my brother dade mason said dade didn't respond he turned his attention to mason Vernon Ferguson is already here. I put him in the interview room. Did he bring lawyers with him? Mason asked. Two. Dade gave a dry smile. Abby was surprised Ferguson hadn't brought more. He could certainly afford it because he's resigned. Because he resigned as a police officer 21 years ago, he managed his late father's estate and apparently added even more millions to it. She doubted all those earnings had been legal. Grayson and Gage will start the interview in a few minutes. They continued. They were just waiting for you to get here. Then let's get the show on the road. Mason tipped his head toward a room just up the hall, and Abby followed him. So did Dade, but not before he met another scrawler. Did Boone ever tell you why he hated us so much that he had to leave? Dade tossed out there. Like the scrawl, she expected the question or one similar to it. No, and he never told me why he hated himself either. Dade flexed his eyebrows and made a slight sound of amusement. Grayson said you were the shy and quiet type. <laughs> Abbott mimicked the sound of disapproval Dade had made. He was wrong. And she left it at that. She was shy and quiet, but not when it came to defending Boone. Apparently, she would get a lot of practice doing that as long as she was around his sons. Hopefully not much longer. The first step to making that happen was this interview. The moment she stepped into the room with Mason, she spotted Ferguson on the other side of what appeared to be a two-way mirror. Even though she knew he couldn't see her, Abby had to force herself not to take a step back, but it was a challenge. He sat there at the iron-gray metal table in his expensive dark blue suit, flanked on each side by lawyers in equal price regularly clothes. How long has it been since you've seen him? Mason asked. Unfortunately, Abby didn't even have to think about her answer. Five years, three months, she paused, gathering her breath. Boone and I were working a ranch down in Lorindo, and he showed up. Did he try to kill you? I wish, but she waved that off. It's just, 
If he had, we could have had him arrested, but no, he was there to remind me that he could get to me any time he wants, and he can. From time to time, he sends me flowers, notes, anything to let me know I'm not safe and never will be. Mason made another of those sounds that could have meant nothing or anything, and she watched as Grayson and his brother Gage entered the room. Ferguson is going through a lot of trouble to keep tabs on you, Mason commented, especially in considering his fight was with your mother. Abby nodded. He probably thinks she told me something, some things about him. She didn't. If she had, I would have already gone to the cops with it. Mason stayed quiet a minute. Because he's obviously a warped man, maybe Ferguson wants to get back a bone for helping you. That made the chill in her blood even worse, because it was exactly something that Ferguson would do. That chill, The chill quickly turned to anger, and she hated Ferguson for going after the man who literally saved her life. That exact moment, Ferguson's gaze lifted toward the mirror, and it seemed as if he knew she was there, watching him. He smiled that oily smile she saw in her nightmares. Before she could stop herself, Abby stepped back and tried to level her breathing. Marshal McClenny will offer boom protection, Mason explained. His voice and body language didn't change, but he no doubt noticed her little defensive maneuver. And he's already arranging a new identity for you. Probably not in Texas this time. No, not in Texas, which meant she'd have to leave her home and her career because Ferguson would trace her that way. She might have to leave Boone, too. That night, Boone. That might be her only chance to keep him safe if Ferguson truly had him in his sights. And that broke her heart. And that broke her heart. Mason adjusted the audio so they could hear Grayson explaining the reason for the interview. However, he didn't even finish before Dade appeared in the doorway of the observation room. We found Dade Chapman, Dade said to Mason. He had his phone sandwiched between his shoulder and his ear. Abby pulled in her breast. She hadn't forgotten about the hitman, of course, but Ferguson had distracted and unnerved her. Where? Mason asked. Dade lifted his index finger in a wane second gesture and repeated the question to the person on the other end of the line. A moment later, Dade cursed and drew his gun. H. Chapman is less than a block from here and headed this way. End of chapter 6.